The end of an era. First Timothy comes to a close this morning. <laughs> no, just wait. Maybe I'll stretch it out. Stretch it out maybe one more week. <laughs> Let's read uh, from God's Word this morning. This is God's Word and it is eternally true. Uh, this is First Timothy 6 starting in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Let's ask for God's help this morning. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that your spirit who inspired these men be with us this morning to help us to know your will and your word. In Christ's name, amen. So, Paul ends his words to Timothy with an admonition for the rich. And then a, a final belabored point of don't pay attention, don't get caught up in irreverent babble and silly myths, you yourself. Um, because we have spent much time talking about that aspect of Timothy's purpose in Ephesus, um, I'm not going to spend much time on the last few verses. We have seen how that sort of thing can lead to dissension and division within a body. We've seen that that sort of thing is what leads to um, denying marriage to people and denying certain foods to people. And here we have, though, this admonition to the rich. And because this last chapter really deals with wealth um, I think it's important for us to pause and to consider what it means for us. Um, very few of us would consider ourselves rich. Uh, that, that word tends to have the connotation of being you know, a multi-multi-millionaire, living in a mansion by the sea and having a second home in Cancun and one over in uh, some other wonderful place to live, you know, in Tuscany or something. And that's possible, um, that there were people like that in the church in Ephesus. Um, and it's possible there are people like that here. Well, I'm pretty sure there's anybody like that here in our congregation. And so we tend to think that's what rich is. And yet, the reality is, every single one of us is boundlessly rich. Boundlessly rich. And I don't just mean God has given us many good things. I just mean in the history of the world, we are without equal. Even in many of your lifetimes, things that are not necessary to life, we have begun to take for granted. So many of you grew up without indoor plumbing, right? Had an outhouse that you had to go to. That doesn't exist anymore. There, there's almost nowhere in this country you can go where it doesn't have indoor plumbing, right? This is a, it's a miracle, right? The kind of poverty that is just normal through much of the world. We have no idea of. Or another one. See these, see these things right here? 
If I take these off, by the time I get to the back, right, I can tell that you're a man or a woman, sort of. I can kind of see how long your hair is and maybe the shape of your body, but I can't see your eyes. I don't know. I don't really know what's happening in this region. Um, and so I put these on, and all of a sudden, I can see you know, the color of hair, the little spike of hair that's sticking up. I can see. Did you know that for most of human history, this didn't exist? That eyeglasses weren't invented until about 800 years ago? That if you couldn't see, you just couldn't see? That's just how it was for everyone who ever lived in the history of the world until a thousand years ago? And yet, what do we think of these things? We get irritated when they're expensive. We get irritated when they break. We get irritated when we lose them. We take them for granted when we lose them. We don't value them. We don't think of the unbelievable gift God has given us to be able to see the world in ways most of the people of the history of the world did not see the world. We just have no idea the rich blessings we have. Air conditioning, heat. Air conditioning is less than 100 years old. Less than 100 years old, air conditioning. It was brought in during the 20s and 30s to cool off movie theaters. Why? Not for your comfort, but because the, the, movie, the movie reel would break if it got too hot and crazy. So in order to get the reel to work, they had to cool the room and dehumidify it. So they invented a cooling dehumidifier, an air conditioner. Completely for granted. If it's too hot, I am miserable beyond all miserable. I am so unbelievably spoiled. And then most prominently this week, we have this thing that some of you lived through the oil crises of the 80s and remember that, but you've forgotten it. You've forgotten it. Everyone's forgotten it. Because this week, in one chunk of our country, millions of people had to figure out what to do with no gasoline at the gas station. Gas shortages are not normal. And because they're not normal, we forget that it is the richness that provides this. We are wealthy beyond wealth. The kinds of things we just take for granted every day. A vehicle, multiple vehicles, a home with multiple rooms, running water, kitchen, a stove, a microwave, glasses, shoes. It's just unbelievably staggering how wealthy we are. Unbelievably staggering how wealthy we are. And yet we're... We are, right, this thing. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. We are that. What do I mean? Do I think that any of you go home and you look at your, your check, checking account, your savings account, and your 401ks, and your IRAs, whatever you got, and you just go, look at all that money. I am, I am Scrooge McDuck. I am the most wealthy person who's, I know I don't think any of you do that. You're not haughty in that way. It's not as though you just sit around and just think of how great you are because of your wealth. But the fact that we don't remember, that we forget to thank God for so many things we have taken for granted is haughtiness. It is being proud. It is trusting in riches. Why do we not worry about what we will eat tomorrow? Is it because we pray like we pray every Sunday, give us this day our daily bread. 
Or is it because we know that we can drive down the street to a restaurant, to a grocery store, and get anything we want, any time of the day? Because not only is it available, but we have the money to do it. What is our hope? Is it actually in God? Or is it in the uncertainty of riches? I think you would be hard-pressed that any of us think, the reason I don't worry about tomorrow is because I trust in God. No, the reason we don't worry about tomorrow too often, far too often, is because we have money in the bank. We know that next paycheck's coming, that next government check's coming. We have faith in something that is fleeting. All of us, we're all this kind of wealthy. None of us suffers for want or need. And it makes faith very difficult, right? What is the warning God gives us? Right? The rich young ruler comes, says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, love your father and mother and keep the commandments. And the guy says, I've done all that. Something else got to be there. And Jesus says, give everything you have away and follow after me. And then my guy leaves dejected, downhearted in the And the disciples ask the question, you know, what's the deal here? And Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, there's some historical debate whether the needle is some entrance into a city. That's mostly been debunked. Jesus was actually talking about a needle, tiny little needle in a whole big camel, and saying, you can get that camel through this little tiny dot easier than a rich man can enter heaven. And then the disciples asked, not the natural question. Well, are the rich ever going to make it? That's not the question they asked. Because they knew themselves who were poor fishermen to be wealthy. The question they asked is, who then can be saved? Who can be saved? If that guy can't be saved, how are any of the rest of us going to be saved? The, The reality is we have staggering wealth all around us and we take our our hope and our faith all the time in this stuff Um, we look at our checking and savings account not to be scrooge mcduck and not to count our coins but to think all right yeah i'm fine you know it's okay car breaks down it's okay i got money this happens it's okay i got money this happens it's okay i got insurance this happens it's okay i got this How many of us ever say anything approaching, it's okay, God will take care of me? Now, we might say that sometimes when we're talking with each other after we've kind of had our little pouty start of saying, you know, I got this, that, and the other, but it's okay, God will take care of me. But the reality is we don't feel it, we don't hope in it. I don't. This This is a major problem. This is a huge problem. The rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. We tend to think that because we're not Bill Gates or uh, Jeff Bezos or some other unbelievably wealthy person, that we don't have this problem. We do have this problem. We do have this problem. How do you see it? You see it all over the place, right? So my, my family's in real estate. My dad's a realtor, my brother's a realtor, my sister's a realtor. I grew up in real estate. I'm not a realtor. Don't ask me any questions. Um, 
How does it come across in this, right? How about this one? You ever heard the term starter home? That's, that's a good starter home. What does that imply? What does that imply? That implies that good's not good, that home's not good enough for you long term. What does that imply? Who are we trusting in? What are we trusting in? The bigness of our home to provide something for us? How absurd of an argument is that? If we have a large home, what? Our kids will have more area to get in trouble in? I mean, this is the reality. If you continually expand the size of your home, it doesn't make you more holy. It doesn't make your children more holy. This gives you more opportunity to have different places to be disobedient. We say these kinds of things, though, all the time. All the time we tell people this sort of thing. That's a good starter car. You don't want to do that car. you got to do this car. you got to have this. you got to have that. Gotta, you don't want that one. you got to have this one. This one's going to be a better long-term investment, not that one. And some of that is wisdom, right? Why do we have a metal roof over our heads? Well, somebody 20 years ago thought, what's a better investment now? Shingles or metal? Somebody spoke up and said, just put a metal roof on it, and then we won't have to worry about this thing for a good long while. It's more expensive, but it's better long term. That's wisdom. So where do we draw the line? Where is it wisdom, and where is it trusting in the uncertainty of riches? Where is that line? I don't know. It's different for each of us. We all answer that question differently. But I do know this. All of us too often answer the question wrongly. Too often we answer that question wrongly. We think, that guy over there is trusting in his riches, but I, I'm not. I don't have this problem. I, I don't. And, listen, we have had this for generations. This is not a new problem. I've brought up technology that didn't exist a hundred years ago. But this is not new. This was written in first century Judea, right? Where all the technological advances I just named didn't even exist, weren't even thought of, couldn't be named or dreamed of. And yet there were people who were wealthy and rich in this present age who didn't think they had a care in the world because they could provide for themselves. It's not a new problem. Who is it that cares for you? Who is it? Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he had brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. How unbelievable is it that all this stuff, though we forget and don't think of it, is from God who richly gives us all things to enjoy. Now, we can get hooked up on that last part. Gives us, this is back to 1 Timothy. He gives us, rich, richly gives us all things to enjoy. 
We can, we can begin to ask these questions of ourselves. Who do we trust in? What do we trust in? Is it God or is it in things? And we can become an ascetic, right? We think that everything that could possibly be purchased is a bad thing. Stuff is bad. And that's not true. Right? This is the same argument that was happening in Ephesus. For this reason, men were saying, don't get married. Don't eat that food. And God says, no, I gave you food. Eat the food. I've given it to you. So what we're talking about here is not enjoying the things God has given us. It doesn't mean you're not supposed to take joy in the fact that your Father has given you gifts. What is the antidote then to riches? What is the antidote to our problem of trusting in riches? Is it to just go, well, I'm never going to buy a new car. I'm never going to have a nice house. I'm not going to buy that new rug. I'm not going to buy that new chair. I'm not going to replace my stove. I am going to just live simply and boom, I will have solved the problem here. I won't trust in riches anymore. That's not the gospel answer. It's not God's answer. God's answer is not, I will no longer have stuff. Right? If we got rid of all the seats in our auditorium next week, if we took out all the light bulbs, if we took out the furnaces and the air conditioners, if we sold all the metal and gave and just did away with all the stuff, with all these conveniences, all these amazing gifts that God has got rid of the speaker. If we did all of that, would that please God? And the answer is no. He gave us this stuff. We're supposed to use it and enjoy it. Enjoy the fact that you have a padded, cushioned chair and not a hard wooden pew. Give thanks to God. It's easier to sit on and endure my preaching. Yeah? Well, nobody. Apparently it's not that easy to endure my preaching. <laughs> the, the reality is all of these things are meant to be enjoyed. So what is the, what is the fix? What is, what, how do we fix our problem, our heart motivation, and who cares for us? They are... To be rich, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. What is the antidote here? It's not to just go, I'm not having anything nice ever again. That's ungodly to ever have anything nice. No, 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 no. The antidote, the way you begin to break your heart away from stuff is to be generous. Is to be generous. Is to do good. It's to actually think of somebody else when you're eating a meal and think, what do they have? What if I... It's to think of somebody else when your car breaks down and think, you know, such and such, so and so, doesn't... Maybe I should... This became very evident to me. So I worked for one year as a... uh, uh, I don't even know what my technical name was. The salesman at at an auto repair place, the guy at the counter... I don't know what I'm called, what I was called. I had to deal with people all the time. I would call them on the phone. Hi, this is Joe from Steve's Auto Care. Yeah, I'm calling about your car. Uh, I've got bad news. X, Y, and Z is broken. It's going to be $4,000 to fix it, um, and it might not work. Tears, crying, right? Every day I had to do this, every single day. People couldn't pay their bills. People didn't have the money to pay for simple repairs, $100 repairs, $500 repairs. Couldn't pay for them. 
there's two things that can happen in that moment. Right? One thing is you can feel no pity. Feel no pity. Well, you can take a look at their car. You can know a little bit about them. And you can think, well, the reason they don't have that money is because of X, Y, and Z. And that serves them right for not having the money. And that's the way we look at most people and most problems. It is the way we excuse ourselves from generosity. I'm confident John Piper said this years ago, and it has stuck with me. I'm confident that John Piper is right when he says, when you get to heaven, the question will not be, why did you give that stuff to that guy? You knew he was going to misuse it. Why did you do that? I don't think that will be the question that is asked of us. Instead, the question will be, why didn't you give? Why didn't you give? Our responsibility is not to ensure everything we give away is used to the utmost of what it's supposed to be used for. Right? There is no stipulation. There's an expectation. There's a hope. There's a call. Right? Especially if they're a brother in Christ, you can say, don't be frivolous with this. But they might be. And then you have to think of this. What have you been given? Eternal life and everything in God. Right? This is the last part. He richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Store up for treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Hope in God. We have been given more than we could possibly imagine in Christ and in material things. And are we frivolous? Do we waste? Yes, every day. We don't pray as we should. We don't think as we should. We don't read as we should. We don't watch as we should. We don't speak as we should. It's frivolous. It's a waste. You have been given unbelievable wealth in Jesus Christ, and you throw it away every day. And God says, your generosity should mimic mine. I richly give you more and more and more, despite the fact that you waste it, despite the fact you don't use it properly, despite the fact that every day I say, do this, and you do that instead. I give and I give and I give and I give. So much so that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us on the cross, who gave up all the riches of heaven for us, so that for our sake he became poor, so that we might become rich. This is the antidote. Not, don't ever buy a car, don't ever buy a house, don't get the window that needs replaced because, you know, it still keeps out most of the air. Don't do this, don't do that. I'm not going to... Asceticism is not the gospel answer. Generosity is the heart of a Christian. Gratitude leading to generosity is the absolute center of what good works are. This is our hope. We have one who died for us while we were still sinners, while we were his enemies. Be generous. Find ways to be generous. Look for ways to be generous. Don't hoard. Give. Find ways to give. Do not set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. 
Don't think that tomorrow the gas station is going to have gas because you have the money to pay for it. God could at any time send another ransomware attack and knock out our fuel system tomorrow. It could be happening right now. We could wake up tomorrow and it's all gone. What hope do we have? What hope do we have? That we should be able to go down to the corner gas station and get a can of gas? No, that's not our hope. It's not our hope. Our military is not our hope. I read this morning from Psalm 20, Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. We do not set our hope on the uncertainty of riches. And that's not just personally, that's nationally. That's locally. Right? Jasper's a wealthy town. Uh, there's a community foundation that was established, I, I forget when, six months ago or something to help small local community businesses. It's called, uh, what's it called, Exodus 19 or something like that. Um, it's given away, I don't know, close to $200,000 in the last six months. I don't know if you're aware of this. In Jasper, local people have given away hundreds of thousands of dollars locally to local businesses to help them through the pandemic times. The temptation is to say, our hope then is in the wealth that we have here. That's not our hope. That's not our hope. You could dump all the money in the world, and we've seen it happen, into this nation, and it doesn't matter. Our hope must be in God who saves. And then we can be generous. Our hope is not in the might of our military to keep out foreign armies. Our hope is in God who saves. And if our military fails... The people who trusted in it will be devastated. But those who trusted in the Lord will never be put to shame. This is the great, great conundrum of our modern life. We are rich. You are rich. I am rich. What will we do with our wealth? Will we think only of ourselves and only of our needs? And when we not be aware of the fact that it is God who gives us these things. God who gives us these things. Not the fact that we worked hard. Not the fact that we had a good job or a good education or moved to the right town or did this or did that or X, Y. We all have a pedigree of why we have what we have. I did this, this, and this, and therefore I got this. Period. End of story. Nowhere in our vocabulary does, do we ever think, I have everything I have because God has given it to me and I, I deserve none of it. We need that vocabulary back. We need hearts of generosity back. We need to be absolutely, totally taken with the idea that Jesus Christ gave himself for us and that we want to give ourselves, therefore, to all people. To be generous all the time. To find that girl who can't pay her bill at the auto repair place and to pay it and do it over and over again. Do it over and over and over again because you can't bear the heartache on the end of the phone. Find it. It exists. There are people all around this town who would be absolutely blown away by generous Christians. And here, I'm probably going to get it in trouble, but I'm going to say it. Spending $10 million on a church building upkeep, whether it's a historical building or not, is not generosity. 
We're in Jasper. We spend money to make things look nice here. Instead, let us be people who spend money to be generous here. To actually care about the people around us. To give ourselves and our money and our time for people who can give nothing back because we are rich both physically and spiritually. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to take communion. Father, we are forever in your debt because of the great, great sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. Give us hope this morning. Forgive us of our sins and give us hope for the future that we would be generous and filled with gratitude to the brim, that we would be marked out. Father, give us, give us this great desire to be generous as you have been generous. We thank you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.